This meeting is being recorded. Hello, everyone. This is That Williams Guy here for another episode. We're recording this Wednesday evening, April the 5th at 8.04 Eastern Time. And we have a selection of people who attended TACCON. Uh, last week's episode had three presenters from TACCON on it, including myself and uh, Mark Freaky and Rob Garrett interviewed us about TACCON, and then we got into some other, other topics. But a listener said they would love to hear from you know regular Joe attendees or Jane attendees, as the case may be, uh, who went, you know, that weren't there as presenters. They were there as attendees, students. Uh, we got some range staff here as well. Uh, you know, people that were RSOs as well as, as, as attending. You know, what was their perspective? And so I posted in the TACCON group on Facebook, and you have to be enrolled in TACCON to be in the TACCON group in Facebook. Uh, hey, if you'd like to be on the show, uh, pop, you know, sound off to them this thread and I tried to pick a cross selection of veterans and first timers and and the like and so we're going to go around with the introductions now first up Monique hey I'm Monique Clark um I am a second time TACCON attendee um I'm active duty military I'm in the Marine Corps I retire here very shortly in about a year three months and 27 days but no one's counting right <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I live currently in Quantico, Virginia. Um, I have two boys. I own, I'm the founder of Linus Defense Firearms Training here, out here. So I do training as well, one-on-ones, concealed carry, gateway instruction, whatever you can think of. Um, but great to be here. Uh, TACCON definitely opened my eyes the first year, which was last year that I went. And this will be a very interesting discussion. What do you do in the Marine Corps, if you're allowed to say? Oh, I'm a logistics. <laughs> I'm a logistics chief for my regiment. Okay. All right. Um, you also served as an RSO, correct? Uh, not this year. Not, not that you did last year. Though, I, right? I helped Akil. Like, I, I helped okay. him out a little bit. <laughs> but no, I didn't serve <laughs> as an RSO this year. <laughs> All right. All right. Dakota? Hi, my name is Dakota Adelphia. This was my first TACCON. Um, so I am the San Diego chapter facilitator for a girl on a gun. And I also have my own training uh, company. So I do concealed carry permits for the County of San Diego and private lessons and, and it's a few different things. Um, but I had heard all about TACCON, heard it was a great time. I had some people here in my local community who go every year and they really encouraged me to try it out. Um, and this last year, I went through the Range Master Instructor course with Tom Gibbons and so kind of met a little bit about the culture of Range Master and really enjoyed it. So I uh, was happy to be there. All right. We had the first Internet squirrel slash slimy thing of the night. What's the process to become a concealed carry instructor in California? So um, in California, basically, you have to have a COE, so certificate, uh, certificate of eligibility, and you also have to go through this process where you get certified by your county sheriff. So um, in San Diego County, they open the list every two years for new applicants to be instructors, and then you apply, you go through this process where you submit your, um, you know, 
certifications, you prove that you have the experience required, and then that's basically it. They tell you if you passed or not, um, you have your certificate of eligibility, your background check, all of that, and then you are on the list for two years, uh, and then you can renew every two years after that. Is there a list of pre-approved instructor certifications that you must have to get that? Yes, there's um, a basic NRA cert that is accepted and then you have to have an additional certification. So personal protection in the home is one of them. They also had me uh, submit an additional uh, accreditation um, because they weren't sure about one of the uh, certifications I had. So I also submitted my Range Master 1 to count towards those certifications and they accepted it. Yeah, I was amused. I was looking through the North Carolina requirements here recently and like uscca and nra instructor you know the basic instructor was accepted but like the flexi 80 hour instructor certification wasn't i just thought i was i was amused by that but uh, uh do the people who apply and, and complete the training do they have much trouble getting their license is the what's the process there yeah, so San Diego County um, has has been pretty CCW friendly for the last six, eight, ten years, something like that. So um, the process was you had to have good cause, but the sheriff was essentially allowing any good cause to get a permit. So you could say that you you know worked in an environment where you could be the victim of theft or something like that. Um, so most people could kind of write their good cause statement in a way that would allow them to be accepted. The main problem with the process right now, which uh, we're actively working to fix, is the long wait time. So after the Bruin, uh, the good cause statement was removed and everybody thought, oh, this makes it way easier. So everyone went to get their CCWs. Uh, so we have thousands in the queue and it takes about a year from the date of applying to the date of receiving your permit. Um, the process is pretty simple, but you apply, you show proof of residency, all those things, and then they basically set you up for an appointment at the sheriff's office, which right now is, you know, anywhere between 10 months and a year away from the day you apply due to the backlog. Um, and then at that appointment, you get fingerprinted, you go through the background check through the DOJ, and about 90 days later, they tell you that you passed your background check. Then you have to go to my class or someone like me uh, and do an eight hour certification class where you have a written exam and a shooting qualification, and then they mail you your permit. Oh. And you don't have to do that for any other constitutionally enumerated right. Nope. Matt, can you imagine people having to do all that to exercise their fourth amendment right against search and seizure? Okay. Have you had your background check and have you completed your class to say no? I do not consent to this search. Unreal. <laughs> Martin. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, sure happy to see all you guys again. A uh, little introduction about me. I spent 43 years as an airline pilot, and that's why I got to uh, be the weatherman that Friday morning. Uh, spent a lot of time in and out of weather that I probably should not have been into, and thinking, well, maybe this might have been a mistake, but it all worked out well. Uh, started with Tom Givens about oh, 15 years ago. I uh, had no idea about Range Master or who Tom Givens was. I just happened to find Range Master in the Yellow Pages. Yeah, Yellow Pages were around 15 years ago. 
So, uh, you know, just like a lot of newbies, you don't know how to act. You don't know how to talk. Is there a certain walk? Is there a way? Uh, they kind of took me under their wing and taught me everything I needed to know. And uh, I've done 12, maybe 15 tack-ons, mostly as just a chair setter upper and uh, nothing real important. About 10 years ago when we left Range Master, Tom asked me to be a match director. And uh, that was a big step. As we continue to grow, uh, we've had to change the personnel and change our duties and job descriptions and just to make it better for everyone else. Um, right now, I'm working at a range in Memphis called Top Gun. I uh, do mostly private lessons. I've done about 54 already this year, and I've taught uh, four classes and taken three myself. So it's been a busy year. All right. And you assumed a new function at TACCOM this year. You went from being the match director to being over or in charge of all the operation, right? That's correct. Program director. Um, just kind of another set of eyes, uh, see what's going on, see who needs help, what, what I can do to make it better to help myself. All right. Tammy? Um, I'm Tammy Bartles. I live in Tonganoxie, Kansas, which is a little town about 20 miles west of Kansas City on the Kansas side of the state line. Um, I recently parted ways with a large range here in the Midwest. I was their director of training for two years and they got some new ownership and we had different feelings about instructing and what that looked like or what that should look like. So I'm currently job hunting for a full-time gig. I have my degree in marketing, so I'm looking kind of that way um, and doing, working on some contract stuff with some local ranges so that I can do private lessons and small classes. Um, like Dakota, I'm the facilitator for our local um, A Girl in a Gun chapter. So that's a lot of fun. And next weekend, I head to Indiana with Shoot Like a Girl for my tryout with them to be one of their contract instructors. So lots of really cool, fun training stuff going on. Um, I always joke, some people drink the Kool-Aid, I filled up a pool and jumped right in, so. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we were in the process of working out that range hosting me coming out there. And then when you, I got the email, well, the range just got sold and I uh, don't think this is going to happen. Yeah, uh, yeah. And um, I, you're glad you didn't go because I was, they, I had set up Tim Heron already and he went just a couple of weeks before um, TACCON and I got to hear how unwell it went <laughs> so, that's that's unfortunate that it didn't go well it is it is so it's a really nice range tom was there um mm -hmm. end of last month or end of february doing an instructor development class so hopefully they'll get stuff figured out yeah. and social media mogul matt lanfer i don't know about that Maybe I spent a little bit too much time on the internet. That's what it is. Um, Matt Lanfair, cop for a while. Um, most of my training background has been either department provided or somehow law enforcement, military centric, where most of the students are there against their will. So that's fun. Um, if it's not that, it's the kind of training where for some reason people are wearing plate carriers when they might not need to yet or training where you do want to wear a plate carrier because there might be live guns going off in close proximity. 
this was my first tech con and it was such a nice change of pace. And I think I had the same conversation multiple times with people talking about how having been through so much law enforcement training, so much, some of this, so much of this were again, the, the students are hostages, people that want to actually be there. And the atmosphere was just so pleasant. And after the first day I was messaging people left and right saying, next year, you're going with me, whether you like it or not. And overall, such a positive, everything was positive, except for the humidity as someone that's living in the desert, in the mountains, getting off the plane and getting literally hit in the face. Okay, not getting hit in the face with the humidity. Yeah. And that was not a humid day, Matt. No, it wasn't. So I grew up in a suburb of Chicago and yeah, humidity is, I'm used to it, but having been away from it for so long and then, oh gosh, geez, this is warm. And not wear, and not bring in the, the proper clothing. I should have had more short sleeves and stuff, but that's not, that's my own my, my own uh, deficiency. Yeah, I was out in your neck of the woods a couple of years ago, and it was ninety five degrees with nine percent humidity. Yeah, it, it was unreal. It, it's awesome. Air conditioning actually does something for you. <laughs> I actually signed up for a class one time because it was 96 degrees and like 85, 90% humidity where I live. And the class was 75 degrees and 25% humidity. And I said, that's the one qualification that I need. I'm going. Hold on. Tammy, this was your second TechCon? Yes. Yeah, I forgot to say it was my second. All right. Monique, you said this was your second as well? Correct. Dakota, what? first uh, this one was my first first okay all right so i've been every year since 14 so we missed what was it 20 or 21 we missed martin 21 because of covid all right uh i know everyone's anxious about what when, when will the tickets come out and everything for okay. for 24 uh that process is underway um i know that the dallas pistol club has to take a vote as to whether or not we come back this year and everything else. And that's all pretty much, um, I think it's, I don't want to say it's a rubber stamp thing, uh, cause I don't, I don't want to offend anyone and anything with that. But my understanding is it's pretty well, uh, a done deal. Uh, Wayne Dobbs is the president of the DPC and outstanding facility and just outstanding facility. Uh, they do an excellent job of hosting us and, um, I've been my first TACCOM was in the old Rangemaster facility in Memphis. Then for two years, we were at the Memphis Police Academy. Then we were at Darcy for two years. Then we were in New Orleans on a racetrack for a year. And then we've been in Dallas ever since. Uh, Martin, you were you at any of the Tulsa TACCOMs? No, I never made the Tulsa. I did make the one we had up in uh, Marty Hayes' place at. Uh, yeah, the Firearms Academy of Seattle. Yeah, I was at that one uh, as well. Uh, interestingly enough, we did that one one year where we were going to do it as an every other thing. It was called the Northwest uh, Regional TACCON and didn't get enough registrations to do it the second time. Who knows? You know, who can guess? Um, but back to the tickets. I know everyone's anxious for them all to come out and sign up. Uh, there were a lot of people who normally come that weren't there this year because TACCON normally sells out Octoberish, Novemberish. It sold out in three yeah. days this past yeah. year. Uh, we were 60% first time attendees. Uh, and so that that's 
you know, it was sad that I didn't get to see a lot of familiar faces that, that I see every year at TACCON, but it was also great to have new people there as well. And um, before we get into the round robin thing, I just want to talk to Martin about the match stuff real quick and what happened Friday morning. Uh, we got hit with a deluge Friday morning. Yeah, it wasn't so much the water. As you know, I trained with you when it was snowing. So <laughs> In Tennessee in <laughs> April. That's right. So uh, that doesn't really bother me. It's the lightning that really concerned me. And as most of you know, you can be hit by lightning 21 miles from the center of the cell. Uh, that's why you don't want to be out. And when there's lightning available for you, you don't want to have a golf club or things like guns that are made out of metal in your hand. Uh, it's just not a good mix. So it was put on my shoulders to make a decision. And I always err on the side of caution, as I did for 43 years, flying you nice people all over the world. Uh, if you can't do it safe, you can't do it at all. Uh, and I run the range up at Top Gun the same way. It's got to be done safe. Yeah, and I watched the, the storms and everything coming in. I know there were people like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like, there's nothing you can do. No. Uh, we're going to sit here and we're going to wait for this to blow over and then we'll get started. Yeah, just uh, it's just not worth the... the the hazard is not worth going out on a range just to fill a class. All right. Cause you know, we can dry water off, but we can't dry a lightning strike off. Right. Yeah. Um, speaking of the match, Monique, did you shoot it? I did. Yeah, you did. Cause you were in the finals, weren't you? Yes. I did. Dakota, you were also in the finals. Yes. I know you shot it. Tammy, did you shoot it? I did not shoot it. I had an arm injury. Okay. Matt, did you shoot the match? I didn't. I'm a wuss. <laughs> Martin, did you shoot? Um, we the staff gets together and shoots it. Um, yeah. I do not fill out paperwork on mine, um, yeah. simply for the fact that I don't want anybody to say, "Well, you've had the course of fire for two months and you got the practice and you knew exactly what these turning targets would do." It's an unfair advantage, so I do not enter the match. Okay. I did shoot the match this year, but I stunk it up and did not make the, the finals this year. Um, interesting thing, uh, there was a discussion in the in the Facebook group where someone kind of put forth the idea that the only reason people don't shoot the match is because they're scared to do so. And Very I take so. I, I take umbrage with that. I really do. Um, my first TACCOM was 2014. I had my assigned shooting time for the match was at the same time as a class I really wanted to take. I, was like, I can go shoot a match near my house. I can't go to this class near my house. So I didn't give, I wouldn't want to give up the class spot to go shoot the match. Uh, same thing happened in 2015. There was a class I really wanted at the same time as my, my assigned shooting time. So I didn't shoot the match in 15 and 16. I was walking down the hallway and some guy that looks remarkably like Martin grabbed me and drug me into the range and said, you're shooting the match. It's like, well, I guess I'm, I'm shooting the match right now. And, uh, shot it then. Um, one of the years that, in Dallas, I think the first year we were there, I didn't shoot it because Tom asked me to teach revolver and, by the time I put all of my revolver gear and everything in my luggage and, and everything to get out there, it was jam packed and I just had no room for anything else. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I just won't shoot the match this year. Um, you know, I can understand people not wanting to give up classes to shoot the match. 
All right, Matt, I see you nodding your head. You got any comments? Absolutely. Uh, so for me, very similar to what you just said about having a match nearby, but you can't re, uh, go to these classes. I purposely didn't take a single shooting class. I just want to go to all the lectures. Logistically also, you know, it's, I, yeah, you can travel with guns, ammo's there, but it's just more of a hassle when it, I, I have a lot of shooting classes under my belt. I'm not saying I'm done shooting, doing them, but some of these lectures, yeah, these are, these are from some, some people that I, I greatly respect. And I would, I put a priority on these lectures versus a shooting class. If I want to go to a shooting class, I'm going to go to something where I have the entire, um, the entire meal and not just a little hors d'oeuvre or a, or a snack, because that's yeah. essentially what these, what the shooting blocks are. They're giving you kind of a highlight of the thing, but you're not getting the entire experience. And so I'd much rather dedicate that time to sitting in a, a cool lecture and uh, they were great. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed them. Yeah. Monique, any thoughts on the match? Um, I was tempted not to do the match myself as well. Um, I had some downtime to where I wasn't able to shoot the two or three weeks prior. I wasn't able to get to, get to the range. So I was like, I am going to fudge this up. I am not going in there <laughs> embarrassing myself. <laughs> um, but when I told Lockheed, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna shoot it. He was like, you're gonna shoot it. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> I just, I shot it anyway. Um, and it, it went well. Um, I didn't expect I was gonna place where I did because I shot the match the first year and I was like bottom 10. <laughs> so I was like, okay, anything better than that, right? I should be good. Um, but over the last year or so that I've been shooting consistently, obviously it retained. So it went pretty well. Dakota? Yeah, I kind of similar um, concern about live fire classes overlapping with the match time. But I had had somebody from San Diego who's been to a few chat cons tell me that a lot of people don't shoot the match. So you could show up kind of any time and there's a chance that an empty spot will be there. So I was like, I'm just gonna do that. So I went on Saturday and hung out until there was spot for me on one of the volleys and shot it at not my assigned time. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but um, it worked out great for me. Sorry, Martin, if that causes a mm -hmm. problem. I'm going to address that very thing here shortly. So I may have broke the rules, but it, it worked out for me because I was able to uh, able to shoot the match. And I think there is always that fear of embarrassment or whatever. But something that for me, you know, personally that I like to try to do is just compete against myself. So, you know, not thinking about who else is on this line, who do I want to, you know, not embarrass myself in front of, but you know, just showing up and shooting the best that I can in that moment um, and being happy with that as long as I accomplished that. And I, you know, I felt good with that and 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 went for it. I'm going to skip, Martin. I'll come back to you just a second, Martin. Tammy. Okay. So I didn't shoot it last year either on my first year. <laughs> and I think last year, and we talked about it in that, that post in the Facebook group a little bit, is um, I didn't really know what it was. And I, like, drove down from Kansas with Chuck Haggard and I you know I wasn't just some like loner who had no connections and I still didn't know really what it was I didn't understand you know what the match was what the purpose of it was was it was that for me was it for you know I and so I do think we could be better about putting out some information 
information, especially for new people, about what that is to make them more comfortable and feel a little better about it. I was super bummed because I was going to shoot it this year, and then I am five foot tall, and I drive a Jeep and pulled my elbow two months ago climbing into it and hadn't been shooting a lot so I was I did not want to miss out on my live fire classes by you know wearing out my arm where I couldn't shoot anymore by shooting the match so next year <laughs> all right Martin you have the Florida anything you need to say about match and range operations <clears throat> well here's if you can imagine how this thing has grown over the the 20 years we've that I've marveled a lot of you have been involved with. Um, first few years, we were lucky to get 20 people to come in and shoot the match. And we didn't have a shoot off back then. So 20 people over three days is really not all that busy. Yeah. So Tom always put out times for your uh, scheduled time to shoot the match. As we continued to grow, people wanted to go to classes and I understood that. But if I've got a spot on the line and it's empty, it belongs to you. You just show up. You may have to wait a little bit. Now, I may have to do the carpet dance in Tom's office here by saying this, but uh, I promise we will get you on the line. And it's something you need to do is get the word out. As newbies, tell everybody that just, just show up. Well, they may have to wait a little bit. We'll get them. I understand the apprehension. If you could imagine when I first got hired by uh, Tom at Rangemaster, going in on instructor night and shooting against 35 of the top shooters of the nation, my heart was pounding. I understand the apprehension, but I stuck with it. And here I am today. Um, we don't care. I get people from the very top and we have that shoot off for the very, very best, but we want everybody. I want that person who just bought the, bo the gun yesterday and it's still in the box. doesn't know what to do with it. I want that person that is scared to death. Uh, many, many people come up just to watch. I said, you ready to shoot? And they go, no, I'm not qualified to do this. We walk up to the berm and we will have a quick little class with them. They're welcome to sit there and watch the other shooters and get used to it. Um, if they've never presented a gun from a holster, we will let them shoot the match from the ready position. And of course we won't count it, but it gives them exposure. I would rather have them shoot the match, not get all the shots off than to have wild shots just because they're under the, the time. So it's a, my job as an educator. And believe me, the guys working that match are some of the best trained range master instructors you are going to meet. And I absolutely believe it. But uh, yes, you will get a time to shoot next year. If you want to go to a class, just make time, but show up ready. A lot of people show up. Can I shoot the match? Yeah, come on, let's go. Oh, I got to go back to my car and get my gun. Well, then you're not ready. So if you show up ready, I'll let you know how many rounds you need, and we'll just jump right in and have a good time. I want everybody to have a good time. That's the whole purpose. Like I said, 20 people maybe 15, 20 years ago. This year, we had 204 in two days, and we didn't get started for two and a half hours. Yeah. Because after the storm went away, we got a short in the electrical system. So I was still down for another 30 to 45 minutes. So, yeah. yeah, spread the word, spread the word. And, you know, if you meet somebody that's nervous, say, hey, I'll go over there with you. 
and that is that that support that they get means a lot to them believe me yeah and i know when it was at the range master facility and at the memphis police academy it was a one of one at a time thing yes he went through, yeah, he went through was, one at a time as a shooter and everything when we moved to dorsey that's when we opened it up and we started having like the standards match and, and everything and it was i think the second year we were at dorsey's when we went to the the tie-breaking shoot-off that is correct yes. and uh you know when tom said we were going to do the the top 16 men and the top eight women and everything well that that year there was some pressure yeah. it was like all right i, I gotta make the finals this, this year yeah. and uh that, and that was your two martin where the the target company sent the wrong targets yeah. And we didn't realize it till we were setting you were setting up the range and like the, right. the scoring there was huge and we had like 27 ties for first place after the standards right. and so we shot the five yard roundup on turning targets mm-hmm. for the tiebreaker and that was that was pins and needles there for a little bit well having that shoot off is also the downside of that is people think that this match is just for the very very right. best shooters and it is not i want every single shooter that attends TechCon to come in have a good time and need be have a little education mm-hmm. and i would encourage people and and don't get intimidated by the shoot off and where you finish there is a lot of turnover from year to year uh, last year, I made the finals and was high law man. I was 54th this year. You know, there is such a tight match. Anything can happen. Uh, Gabe White is a past winner. I've seen him twice not make the finals. You know, so, so you may, you know, come in middle of the pack, lower end this, this year. Next year, the Angels may be on your shoulders guiding your bullets. And, and you know, you may jump up there at the top because it's it's that tight of a match. and you know, working on those butterflies in an environment where you're not going to get hurt is a good place to work on them. Absolutely. It's a good place to work on Do any of you have any questions for Martin about the match or the range administration before we start moving on? Mm-hmm. All right. Monique, what classes did you attend? Uh, I took mouse mindset. I did Masada Ayub's class. I did. Let, let's describe the classes as we're saying like mouse mindset because some of our so, listeners may not know what the descriptions were. Right. So mouse mindset was the mini gun class. So uh, carrying small guns, right? Um, and that was Chuck Darryl, No, that was uh, Bulky. Okay. Um, he spoke, he, he did some history on uh, gu- the guns themselves and why they were, why small guns were a thing. Uh, historically, and then he went over what the pros and cons were of carrying small guns. Um, Masada Ayub's class about uh, historical cases of of self-defense. He does an amazing job with those classes every time. Um, So I'm intending on going to one of his full length classes when he's closer to Virginia. Uh, And I was, there was, there was a couple of them that I went to because my memory failed me a lot, uh, but I went to mostly lecture classes this year. Last year, I went to all firing classes, so I probably can't even rattle them off right now to you, um, <laughs> but I did. I went to a lot of lectures. 
Um, and I got a lot of information that otherwise wouldn't have gotten if I had went again to fire the whole time, which is why I minimized the amount of fire, live fire that I did this year. I did two live fire classes. Um, one was Jedi's and the other one was shot calling and throttle, throttle control. That was the other class that I did. Both that amazing was, classes. That was Tim um, Heron, right? Tim Heron, yes. And both great classes. Uh, Jed Linsky's class was my first red dot class. Uh, so I did that one on purpose because I'm just starting to get into the red dot. And from what I understand, he's the best, <laughs> one of the best in the game for that. So I did take his class. Um, he definitely taught me a lot of different things, especially about my grip. So as I've came back and start going, went back to the range, I've started shifting a little bit on how I grip my gun and um, engage. So I'm working on little things that I've learned at TACCON, which is extremely helpful because uh, you don't know what you don't know. You know, even as firearms instructors, we have to remain students to the craft. So seeing, getting all this other information and applying small chunks at a time, because you can't, you can't absorb all of that information and try to change everything all at once. You have to take it in small chunks. So I take it and I apply certain things and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I take it and run with it or I don't. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was great. The, the amount of classes, the variety of classes that I was able to go to this year. Can you think of anything else from, from your classes? Um, so you said Jedlinski, Tim Heron's class, the mouse guns were bulky. Right. It's like four other classes. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember them. I can put them on my phone while y'all are talking to the other panelists. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Dakota's going to bail you out while she talks about hers. Okay. Yeah. As soon as I heard you ask her that question, I pulled up my seat. <laughs> so I've got it on my phone right here. I'm definitely going to cheat. Um, my first class was with Gabe White. I had never trained with him. He was kind of one of my bucket list uh, trainers. I wanted to take one of his classes and it did not disappoint. Um, I got nervous with the lightning. It was my Friday morning class. I was like, please, not this one, but um, worked out great. We ended up getting on the range right on time, and um, it was a phenomenal class. I think some of the ways that he manages a line of shooters is so unique and different than what I've seen from any other instructor, um, and it, it feels so very controlled. Um, and, and that's a great thing to feel when you're on a line of a bunch of people holding guns. So I definitely, you know, kind of took some tidbits from that that I'm going to implement in the classes that I teach. Um, but really great class. We did some work um, on shoot, no shoot and practicing drawing to the low ready, um, which I think is a very underutilized skill set in most firearms training. <clears throat> You know, most classes you draw the gun and you press the trigger. And this class you had to think, you had to do different things. He has you drop something from your hand and then go for your gun and just really unique. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that one. Um, and then I attended one other live fire class on Sunday with Jeff Gonzalez. It was uh, diagnostics at 25 yards. Um, and that one was really fun. I I'm a fan of like accuracy shooting. That's kind of a fun, a fun thing for me. Um, and so I really enjoyed that class. The way that he gave individualized feedback to each student was awesome to watch. And I took like three pages of notes in that class. He's just a wealth of knowledge. 
Um, and then the rest of the weekend, I did um, lectures. So I, I went to Ed Monk's lecture on active killers. That was, um, you know, kind of heartbreaking to sit in that class and and listen to and and watch videos and see the statistics. But very eye opening as far as what as a as a country as you know gun owners what we need to be encouraging people to do especially and people in power at school systems and churches and things like that it was crazy to see how wrong we're getting just about everything when it comes to active shooter response uh in schools and so tough tough subject matter but very well worth the time if you have the opportunity to train with him um, I took a Kubaton class from uh, Greg Elfritz. That one was really interesting and painful. Uh, <laughs> he has everyone in the class do this painful thing to your wrist. <laughs> so the next day my wrist was like this tall, um, but really interesting and, you know, touched on pressure points and, and different ways you could really put some hurting on somebody. Um, so that was kind of fun. And then I did the uh, aftermath lecture with you, Lee, and uh, John and Eric. Very interesting, phenomenal, phenomenal class. Um, once again, kind of a tough subject matter, but very important um, and something that is overlooked all too often in this kind of training. Um, and then Masad Ayub's class, I uh, had trained with him in Detroit last year for his uh, deadly force instructor and just thought he was so funny and just a wealth of information and was really excited to take another one of his classes. Um, and then the last thing I did was um, Craig Douglas. So he had his, uh, I, I forget what he calls it, experiential learning lab or something. Um, and so he asked everybody in, in the crowd, you know, who had never trained with him. And I raised my hand and then he's like, okay, you're in the scenario. And I was like, what did I just get myself into? I had never shot a sim gun and they were like, oh, you know, it's going to hurt if you get hit. I was like, dang it. <laughs> I was like, I know I'm shooting in the finals tomorrow. I don't want to get hit in my hand or something and, and have bruised knuckles. So I was, I was pretty nervous waiting for my turn, but. It was a great experience. I definitely recommend it. You should raise your hand if you're ever in the crowd in that class. <laughs> yeah, you know, Gabe White sort of sprung onto the scene a couple of years ago after he, he shot uh, a perfect score at Rogers. At the time, he and Manny Bragg became numbers four and five to do it. They did it at the same time. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden Gabe's class explodes. And here's this new guy. Well, the thing is, Gabe's actually been teaching for decades, but he was doing it all locally. And then all of a sudden he got some national prominence and recognition and and, and he starts teaching all over the country. Uh, you made an excellent point of how he runs a line. Uh, there is no disorganization in his class whatsoever. If it is, it's because someone's actively trying to be uh, disorganized. And um, you know, as far as Craig's stuff, yeah, you definitely get a chance to work on your butterflies in that class and learn some things about you. I've done the full-on ECQCs. I've never jumped in the the experiential learning lab, but uh, yeah, it, it it can it can get intimidating. But I'd rather get intimidated when I know I'm going to walk away right. than not. 
Uh, Martin, were you able to jump in any classes this year? Yeah, actually, I got one this year. I went to uh, Tiffany and Ox uh, teaching new students lecture, which, uh, you know, you can always pick something up. Yeah, I thought it was an excellent class. You're, you're so busy, you know, ruling over your dominion that uh, you don't get a chance to jump into classes most years. No, quite often I get in one and then my phone starts buzzing and I got to get <laughs> up and go put a fire out. And so it's, it's uh, first time you leave your phone on and it goes off in a class, so you get that uh, yeah. stink eye from the instructor. It's probably not a good idea to go back in there. Yeah, you know, because my assigned shooting time was actually 8 a.m. Friday morning this year. And, of oh, course, yeah. there's no way in the world that was going to happen because of the thunder and the lightning and the rain. And so I, I went down with you. Whatever. Well, we set up the range at about 10 o'clock or yeah. so. Yeah, uh, we, we put, got it ready to go, but then the electronics blew the fuses out and popped yeah. circuit breakers, and it was kind of a mess down there. Yeah, I think something got set in a puddle of water or a puddle of water amassed on where something was sitting would be more accurate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not, not as bad as New Orleans, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, in New Orleans, you know, New Orleans is a swamp. It's below sea level. And, folks, we got a torrential downpour, and there was standing water in one of the bays. And there just happened to be an excavator sitting nearby. And one of the attendees runs an earth-moving company, and he drug a drainage ditch and <laughs> put this excavator and drain the range if we could use it but it was still sludge mm -hmm. and uh, i had to bury a pair of jeans at sea after that after that match because yeah. um, they got mud on them and that new orleans mud wouldn't walk up wouldn't wash off huh? tammy so um oh goodness my first class was well my lecture classes i did the um masadayum class like everyone i did um Greg Ellifritz's small impact weapons class. Yeah, my arms were just like rock hard and, and bruised for days afterwards. Um, it was very reminiscent of UCQC. Um, and then I did, oh goodness, I did the, the chess clubs, our favorite research studies, which I'm, I'm a nerd too. So I <laughs> loved that. Lots of really cool studies and information. I did the... Um, I did the blue gun part of Chuck Haggard's close quarters class, did the um, Chris Fry's progressive folding knife class, which I had wanted to take last year. And then I talked myself out of it. And that was really amazing. I have a, a good friend who is basically an a, a Ewa junkie. And I was like, I get it now, Kristen. I, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I got to knife fight Vicki Farnham, which is not something everyone gets to say. And that was pretty cool. Um, so I love that. And then my live fire classes, I did um, one-handed shooting with Tim Heron. I was in the class where he was about 20 minutes late to arrive. So that was a lot of fun. We, we had a lot of fun at his expense for that. Um, you could just hear him over the phone when Amy Langdon called him and it's like, where are you at, sweetie? <laughs> it was fantastic. So it was worth it. And then Friday morning, I actually had Wayne Dobbs's uh, trigger control class, which was really good. Um, bummed it started late, but of course, lightning's no joke. Uh, it was really good. Uh, what I love, you mentioned earlier, the shooting classes is kind of like a little taste test. And I 
you know, I've done quite a bit of training and Wayne probably, or yeah, Wayne probably wasn't on my list of people that I was like, I have to train with this person. Um, and, but after that class, I'm like, I have to train with this person. So that's one of the things I do love about the shooting classes, because it, it gives you an opportunity to um, maybe taste test somebody that you wouldn't want to, or that you wouldn't normally be like, that's a class I have to take. So. Yeah, uh, Wayne is a phenomenal instructor. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. And underrated, he, you know, he's, he didn't get a lot of the, the internet glamour like some of the, some of the other guys out there do, but yeah. uh, very, very, very uh, just outstanding instructor. Uh, I wasn't going to mention the Tim Heron thing, but since you mentioned Tim, <laughs> I have to tell this. You know, he pulled up and got all the stuff out of his car real quick, and Ryan McCann said, I'll go move your car for you. Well, folks, if you don't know Tim and Ryan, they're both uh, short, like extremely short. And so Ryan moves Tim's car, and I see Ryan like a couple of minutes after that, and his face is just nothing but pure absolute joy and glee and he comes running up to me he's like lee 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 i moved tim heron's car it's the first time in 20 years i've gotten into a car that wasn't mine and i didn't have to move the seat <laughs> he was just so excited and ran off and that was to me worth the whole trip right there just to ride that excited about stuff what would have been funnier is to watch matt lamfair get into tim's car and try to move it that wouldn't work all right, Matt, what all did you take? So in choosing the, the courses to take or the blocks to take, I kind of had the advantage where I already know a lot of the people that are teaching. I already I have a good understanding of what a lot of the content is. Most likely, if I haven't already had a podcast episode where we spent 10 hours dissecting their, <laughs> their perspective, yeah, um, the, I, I took the aftermath, which was very good. Um, as a matter of fact, that inspired me. There's going to be a podcast episode about some of the concepts, some of the topics discussed there. Uh, great discussion. One of the things about it also that I appreciated was it was showing, it was discussing the aftermath of deadly force encounters from different perspectives. And it was real. It wasn't, nothing was glam, nothing was glamorous. Nothing was um, uh, open and shut. There, there was a lot of uh it was real life so that yeah that was outstanding uh attended the evolution of low light techniques and for me i love anything low light and tom was teaching that and that was that was really cool because he was he was touching on things i'm familiar with but not like the the, the older stuff i know and i've shot the the various techniques but some of the input he provided kind of helped me understand it a little better where he was talking about Harry's and leg placement. I thought that's cool because that's something I can turn around and, and help officers or whoever wants to use that method. Let's see here. And then um, John Hearns, uh, I think it was the crime and criminals. Uh -huh. That one for me was especially pertinent because one of the main points I pulled from that was how universal crime reporting is not necessarily accurate. And as a police officer, that's kind of something. And the reason is because there are so many crimes that are not uh, reported. And then he, he provides the other two sources. And you see this graph of, okay, this is what UCR is saying. 
And this is what these other sources are saying. That's how many crimes are occur occurring. And so I came back and presented that to my brass. Um, they, they appreciated that. Um, <laughs> what was also really fun was during that, I kept on texting my dad. Oh, you, you're going to love this because he does uh, UCR type stuff, dissemination with uh, Dallas Police Department. So he, ha he gets their crime stats and he disseminates them to uh, the public, essentially, whoever signs up for this, this uh, uh, newsletter. So that was a, a, a really interesting thing to, to learn about. Um, let's see here. Let, let's, let's talk yeah. about that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. class for a second. Uh, John occasionally does a webinar uh, on that. Uh, it's like a two or three hour presentation on, on the crime and criminals. Here's the thing, folks. The Constitution of the United States of America in Article 1, Section 8 gives the federal government 18 specific powers. The 10th Amendment to the Constitution says that the federal government's power is limited to those that list in Article 1, Section 8. So the federal government is not all powerful, uh, really does not have direct authority to order the states to do anything. The supremacy clause of the Constitution only applies to the enumerated powers. That's the, that's the things in Article 1, Section 8. And it's like coining money, post office, Army and Navy kind of, kind of things. Uh, so they don't have a stick approach. In other words, they can't force state and local governments to do many things. Uh, but what they have is a carrot approach. They tie uh, grant money and highway funding and, and school funding, uh, Department of Education. Like the Department of Education has no authority over your public school system at all. No authority over universities and colleges and everything like that. They only have a carrot approach. Yeah. It's all tied to funding, which is voluntary. And your state or local government has to comply with certain things in order to get grant money. Yeah. But they can say, we don't want the grant money. We don't have to comply with the strengths. Several years ago, the George w, George W. Bush, uh, no child left behind thing. States don't have to comply with that. They just don't get their matching federal education money. Yeah. Um, the federal government did not have the authority to order states to adopt a 0 0.08 per se blood alcohol content uh, for DUI. But if they don't do that, they don't get their state highway money. Mm -hmm. um, you don't get money for vests and all this other kind of stuff if you don't Radios. your crime stats. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to apply for any federal grants, you don't have to report your crime stats. Uh, so probably about 50% of the agencies out there, uh, just a guesstimation, are actually reporting crimes. Then there is a manipulation in that data that gets reported. For instance, if you have an armed robbery with four victims, does that get reported as four armed robberies or one armed robbery with four victims as one incident of armed robbery? Um I am familiar with one agency that uh, if there was a theft by taking from an office or a residence hall on a campus, that if it wasn't from a locked room with forced entry, it was reported as a theft by taking and not a burglary. Hmm. 
you know, all that stuff can get, can get manipulated. Yeah. Um, and not necessarily wrongly, maliciously, but there can be some, you know, they're, they're checking boxes. And I actually did the crime reporting for an agency where I started at one point in time, I did the stats. Um, it's, uh, it's making sausage. It really is. Matt, you got any, anything on that? Uh, that won't get you in trouble with your admin? No, no, no. And uh, so I was in charge of it for a bit. And just before Nibers started, and I was so glad to be done with it when Nibers yeah. came about. And that's just another crime reporting thing. Yeah. But yeah, uh, when you're working with agencies and the funding just isn't there for things that officers need or agencies need, that carrot can be incredibly appealing. Uh -huh. uh, you don't see it as much on these, the smaller counties and cities level. But when you see big cities where the chiefs move from big city to big city on contracts, uh, if they come in and they can manipulate data in a way that won't be easily discovered and they can show like a 4% crime rate in their first two years on the job, then they get the chance to renegotiate their contract or get hired by the next bigger city and, and everything else because crime went down under my administration. Yeah. And it mm -hmm. may not necessarily be the law enforcement um, itself. It may be the city administration, the mayor or the city council puts pressure on for the books to be cooked so that we don't, um, you know, we don't want our city to look more dangerous than it is, or I want it to look like I've been tough on crime and things have been fixed. And John paints a really good picture of what's going on with that. Absolutely. But like you say, going through some other sources and here's a scary thought. How many missing persons or dead bodies that haven't been discovered yet? Yeah. So when you look at the murder rate for your area and then aggravated assault, which is really an attempted murder that we saved them medically or, or yeah, it can be through other means uh, as the late William April used to say, aggravated assault is a murder that went wide, right? Um, look at your missing person stats for your area as well. And, and that also with that in mind, how many of those, I can't even think of the way to describe that. Missing persons where maybe someone's not paying attention. Old guy, no <laughs> one's paying any attention to it all. And you know what? Something happened to him and no one ever paid any attention. And yeah. Yeah. Things that fall under the radar. Yeah. Oh, and with that cheery thought, Matt, what else did you take? Oh, home invasions. <laughs> <laughs> so what I really liked about that. And so I've responded. It's not a how-to guy, people. It's, it's not a how-to. It's not a how-to. <laughs> Prevention and response. So yeah. having respond, responded to all kinds of burglaries and, and provided lectures and um, presentations to neighborhoods about, okay, this is what we want to do to reduce some of the burglaries and all that kind of stuff. It just reinforced some of my positions and, and, and provided some really cool information that I can help with my community. So next time I, and we just had some awesome auto burgs. So that's awesome. Um, Using the information he provided, I can turn around and present that to the public and say, you might want to lock your doors. Actually, I've always said that, but that was the bottom line with, with Tom's presentation. Uh, you just prompted another thought that goes back to our previous point when you said auto burglaries. Yeah. In Georgia, we call that an entering auto. Oh. That's what the crime is called. Well, a few years ago, the state changed 
the crime definition of burglary. For years we had burglary, then they changed, we had burglary, now we have burglary too as well. And so it's still burglary if, you know, someone enters a residence with the intent to steal or commit a felony. But if they enter a tool shed or something like that, now that's a burglary too, where previously it was a burglary. Well, they included in that definition of burglary too, basically the same definition as entering auto. But the penalty for burglary too was higher than the penalty for entering auto. And I'm going to confess to something that I did right here to that topic. One of our investigators, uh, well-meaning, well-intentioned, started charging people with burglary too that we call for entering auto because there was a stiffer penalty yeah. for burglary too. We had a contended election come up at around the same time. And the other side jumps on us because our burglary stats have gone up. The number of burglaries hasn't changed. And but just the reporting of those, instead of charging them as entering all those, charging them as burglaries, now it looked like the rate of burglaries is increasing. I had to go to that investigator. Look, I appreciate what you're trying to do. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> those are entering all those. Yeah. And I, because I didn't want it to be used as a tool to beat us with. Yeah. What else, man? Uh, last one, which was, uh, that also is going, it inspired me to get these two people on one of my upcoming episodes mm -hmm. for the podcast. And it's the lost art of teaching beginners. And the thing that I liked about it, and I had this conversation with multiple people, uh -huh. teaching cops is so tiresome because there's this weird expectation that everyone's going to perform at this level, which they don't. Right. Whereas if I'm teaching someone that with, there's no background there, there may be newbies there, but they're not military law enforcement. We can start from the very foundation and establish some good, some good concepts, some good, uh, establish that foundation. And that is so appealing to teach people that want to be there as opposed to it's raining. Do we really need to be out here? Can we please okay. stop? I already shot. God. The prisoners, not students. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that have, class was awesome. Yeah. I, I, that was Tiffany and Akil, right? Yeah. I have the fun task going on right now as I do our training program for jailers that are going to go to the academy. But we have a deputy and we recently hired his sister as a jailer. And she's next in line to go to the academy. So I'm training her right now. And I am already just salivating at the opportunity that she outshoots him. Mm. That, that is, that is my That's goal. I told her that it's like, you have to outshoot your brother. It just has to happen. Uh, and she's, she's listening. She's paying attention. So I think yeah. we're going to accomplish it because he doesn't listen. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the first year I went to TACCON, you know, there's just so much the smorgasbord, like all the classes going on at one time, everything's, how do you choose? And so each year I try to pick a thing. Now, some years just not capable, you know, possible to do that. The first year I picked the theme of, I want to go to every class that deals with establishing a training program. So I could come away with, you know, a specific set of information. So I'd like to kind of go around and how did you pick the classes that you attended? Monique? So I picked most of my classes based off of where I felt that I had the most bias or that I needed more work on. 
Um, I picked mouse mindset because I have biases against small guns. And when teaching beginners and teaching students, half of them are gonna come with a small gun and you're gonna be like, really? <laughs> who, who, what husband, boyfriend, <laughs> storekeeper told you that this little pink 380 was going to be the best option for you? Um, so to get out of my own way, and to have a better approach to the guns, right? I don't say tell that to my students, but I definitely eye roll in the back of my head without them seeing um, <laughs> that I'm better able to speak to them about working their gun, working around the gun, right? Because we don't know what their pockets look like. We don't know why that particular gun they felt fit them. Um, they already have the gun, <laughs> right? So just, being able to talk to them um, about that instead of approaching it more heavy handed. And I'm like, all right, you need to go get you a new gun. No, we're going to work with the gun that you have and you'll process of elimination, probably go get a different gun when you're done with it, but still being able to give them the proper information for that. Um, and then picking the other classes was more like, okay, what, what are my deficiencies as an instructor? Um, what do I feel like I could learn more about? And that was one of the reasons that I had picked Preparing for Legal and Lethal Encounters and Rage Success um, by John Holshin. That class was amazing, by the way. <laughs> I don't know how I forgot about his, but it was on my top two classes that I took um, about um, engagement and uh, target analysis, the stop and go, the red light, green light. I took it from John Murphy last year. He had that in his class as well. And he did a great job. John Holshins was on a whole different level. His class was super structured. He made everything really easy to understand. He went over um, UDA, which is, you know, orient, observe, um, decision, decide, act. And then he talked about the whole making scenarios, right? Making scenarios and having options for those scenarios in the event that you come into a deadly encounter. The class itself was just amazing. So I picked them strategically so that I can be better of an instructor for the students when I keep them the same. Yeah, Holshin is one of my favorite guys in this business. He's one of those people that he, you learn when he asks you a question. Yes. And I, I, every chance I get to, uh, to converse with him, I jump on. Um, we have bestowed a special title on him, but I don't know if we're ready to announce that yet because no. <laughs> uh, there's probably be something that comes up at the next year's tag con very well all right um yeah you you, you piqued my interest and you said the bias things like, okay where, where are we going with this and he's, <laughs> you know think about that though is, is we have it's hard enough to get people to get over the hurdle and come to training as it is and then if they walk in and the first thing we say is hey, your gun sucks right you know do we turn them off do we make them feel like Oh my gosh, I've just spent the only 300 bucks I had on this gun. Exactly. And now I'm going to die because I picked the wrong gun. You know, that's something as instructors we need to be cognizant of. And thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. Huh? Yeah, okay. I just want to throw a shameless plug in there for Tiffany sure. and Ogg's yeah, class mm -hmm. um, about how to be an effective assistant instructor because it's, I mean, it's for anybody. You definitely should yeah. take it no matter what level of instructor you are or aren't. But 
something I'll loosely paraphrase what Tiffany said, but she said something along the lines of who do you think you are that you're going to tell somebody else that it's not an appropriate gun for them? Like, what do you, what gives you the right to even have that opinion? And it really changed the way that I thought about small guns in my classes. I actually, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but uh, we had a policy at our chapter that if it was your first time coming, you had to use a full-size gun. So if you didn't have one, we'd provide one for you. Um, and just thinking of it over you know, the last two years or so and talking with some of the other leadership and stuff, we decided to remove that stipulation. And you know, we still make a suggestion that maybe they wanna try a gun that might be better suited for their hands, but we're not, forcing their hand anymore. Um, and it's something that I think about all the time of, you know, I just hope that there's no one out there who got so heartbroken by our tactic that they gave up shooting or, you know, left the Second Amendment community because of a a, a well-meaning but poorly executed policy. I agree. That's, it's really important that not dissing somebody's gear. In fact, I'm working on a, a instructor development class on training people who have experienced trauma because I have a 13 year background in child welfare, worked with tons of people. And so many times there's like this person crying in your class and especially, you know, people who don't have any background in that, they're like, oh my God, what do I do? And it, it's the not making fun of what people bring is so important that that's a big part of the, the class that I'm working on is just, you know, you, if somebody has experienced this horrible event and now they're like, okay, I'm going to learn to protect myself and they show up and the instructor's like, what is that piece of junk? Um, you know, you can re-traumatize them. You can make them, you know, think that it's hopeless or make it worse for them. So yeah, that's, it's a great point. It's a really important thing that that we need to work on. Am I still allowed to make fun of the deputy that shows up with a personal rifle with a sight mark on top of it instead of the rifle we bought with an aim point on top of it? <laughs> am, I, am I still allowed to make fun of them? Okay. Uh, Martin, you, you teach at a range, you get a lot of first timers and newbies coming in. Anything you can add about the small gun thing? Yeah, first of all, we have a policy. We do not gun shame at all. However, we are very clear. Um, the people have to understand that um, the gun has to fit their hand. It's like shoes. If it doesn't fit, they're not going to shoot it and not enjoy it. Um, doing the private lessons, I've found there are so many different types of people out there, and one type of training doesn't fit all. That's why I like the private lessons over the classroom lessons. So, yes, I'll demonstrate with their gun, let them shoot it. And uh, one of my favorite guns right now for students is the PDP that Tatiana Whitlock helped design. Uh, there's some great uh, ergonomics about that gun that really helps new shooters. Most of the people I get have been trained by Hollywood. That's why you've got to untrain them without making them feel embarrassed or that, yes, they fell into the pigeonhole. Um, but like I said, everybody is different. Everybody is different. Yeah, Matt, that's one area that, that for the most part, training cops that, that we don't deal with because everybody shows up with a full-size surface gun and usually, yep. usually, a decent, decent, and usually a decent holster yep. because somebody else bought it for them. If they bought it themselves, they probably showed up in a Serpa or something like that. But, uh, 
uh, you know, that, that is one of the differences in teaching cops and open enrollment. Um, all right, Dakota, let's go back to you for how you picked your classes. Yeah, um, I, I realized I forgot to mention Luann Hamblin's class um, okay. about teaching women. It was phenomenal. Um, so as far as picking classes, I just kind of uh, looked at what classes I was taking this year and kind of tried to fill in any gaps I had. So um, I participate in the A Girl in a Gun National Conference every year at the end of April. Um, and so I already knew what classes I was taking at that conference. I'm going to the Mingle in May and I have an idea what that training is like. And so I just tried to get training at TechCon that was different. Um, I had some people who were TechCon veterans tell me, you know, take as many lectures as possible. So mm -hmm. I only signed up for two live fire classes and just kind of picked things that felt a little bit out of my comfort zone and out of my normal training. So I had never done small impact weapons. I had never done a class that was all at 25 yards, you know, just kind of tried to pick things that were a little bit more out of, out of the normal training environment that you might see. All right. Martin, how did you pick the one class you were able to attend? Just my scheduling. I had time. Uh, plus, because I deal with a lot of uh, brand new shooters, yeah. I wanted to hear Ock and Tiffany's approach to it, see if, yeah. give a few tips. Right. Tammy? So I picked, I'm selfish with my shooting classes. And when I ranked them and sent them in, I picked things based on what I wanted to work on, um, things that I thought would make me a better shooter. But then also those, you know, inevitably make you a better instructor as well, if you're paying attention and doing it right. So that, and then for everything else, for the, the classroom stuff, I try to do, um, spread it out. So I want to do something that makes me uncomfortable physically. So this year I did the, the progressive folding knife. Last year I did just enough jitsu. Um, I want to do something that I haven't done. So I haven't done a lot of small impact weapon kind of stuff. And so I did that. Um, I always tried to take a medical class. So I didn't mention it before, but I took the, the um, TCCC for T TCCC for people in a hurry with um, Sherman House. And that was the last class on Sunday. Got really lucky because then Caleb Causey also sat in. Um, we got a lot of great information and a fantastic comedy routine, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, and if you like really gross pictures, they had a lot of really gross pictures. Um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, nerdy stuff, things that um, maybe get a little bit into the weeds, like the the research, our favorite research studies classes, um, to help you just learn more about, you know, guns and personal protection at a deeper level. Uh, speaking of which, that class, you remember the videos that I showed of the drill that I've been working on? I've mm -hmm. had a chance to run two groups through that, and the, the results have been a little interesting. Yeah, uh, just just to see, a uh, couple of guys jump right in and have fun with it and a couple of people who trying to combine all of that stuff together you know basically went they went to blue screen at first and then they they uh started picking up on it and so i think it's yeah work. that's that Good. stuff's really interesting i love reading like the the after action reports like i read the police after action report after pulse um mm -hmm. and then the you know the the shootout the fbi shootout that video and everything so that's a lot of fun if you get into that kind of 
nerdery. Mm-hmm. It was great the way that Tom Givens broke that down. Sorry. Um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, that's the first time I heard about the shooting, the FBI shooting, and Tom did a, comp- a pretty much like an hour and a half lecture on it. Um, and that was really, really interesting. And that kind of got me into doing like going and watching the YouTube videos of uh, previous mm-hmm. shootouts. And I actually request the crime reports from my local county and I get it every week and I use it in my um, refuse to be a victim classes because I'm like, hey, like, this is the stuff that goes on every week that you're not, you know, you don't know about. And this is why we do these classes. So that was one of the great takeaways of getting more immersed into the 2A. If you go back several episodes, I interviewed Ed Morellis from the Miami gunfight. And so I think we went two, two hours and something on it. And uh, lots and lots and lots of great information. And there, and the, the the internet will never change. As I posted that link around, trying to promote that episode a little bit, and one place that I posted it, one of the people responded that they wondered how Ed's version stacked up to that of Paul Harrell's. And I'm like, well, Ed, Ed was there, so was there. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go with his. <laughs> right, Matt, and you say it's just like how I see. Lee, <laughs> yes. Um, so you and I, and and I've had also conversations with others talking about Tom's overall program, uh-huh. and it's really got me thinking. Man, this is something I need to look more into. This I need to start taking some of the instructor classes. But I didn't have a frame of reference as to what type of instructor Tom was. Uh-huh. So right off the bat, if I see Tom's teaching something, I'm going to jump in because I want to see this for myself. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, There's that. There's also looking at the catalog of courses available and thinking, okay, I'm pretty well-versed in that. This one, I'm not well as well-versed. It would, it would benefit me more to go to this other topic that I don't know that much about, or like Hearn, you guys always talk about him and sure you make fun of him too, but hearing how you, uh, how you guys kind of, I'm, I'm going to say it out loud. You guys kind of put them on a pedestal, despite always giving them wedgies and stuff. And I want to see that also. I want to see for myself. And what a great class! And so that's basically how I how I uh, figured out which ones to take. I needed to see Tom. And I, I got to see two of them, and I it was great. Um, I needed to go to classes that I wasn't overly that comfortable with the material right didn't know it that well and then i had to see i had to see at least one hern so <laughs> all right okay i last year hern and i attended a class through lsu on how to become a better instructor yeah. and they gave a de- definition of learning that i have really come to adopt and i try to look as far as like, is training actually accomplishing learning or is it filling in, just checking a box? Their definition of learning was a persisting change in a knowledge, skill, or attitude. So I want to go back around. What did you learn from your experience at TACCOM? What is going to be your persisting change in your knowledge, skill, or attitude? And it's okay to say, I didn't learn anything. I just reinforced you know, something I already knew. I learned a different way to teach simple concepts. 
to make them a lot simpler than what I was making them. <laughs> um, the way Jedlinski explained the body, how the body is set up in an X, how his grip stance, how that, how your, your posture, your, your stance, your platform um, is the basis for how you maintain and manage recoil. Um, his whole setup of stance and grip was executed perfectly. Now, again, some worked for some, it didn't work for others, but just getting the information on how to better explain those concepts was worth its money in gold. Structure, not strength. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, that was that was amazing the way he said that. Um, so I've I've learned from the classes how to better explain things. Um, I'm definitely stealing that from him. I told him that already. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's if you give it a footnote, it's research and not plagiarism. True story. <laughs> Anything else? Um, I want to invest in Holshin's machine that he used for the colors. It was a lot, it was, it was more convenient than John Murphy's yeah. um, flashlights that he used last year. Mm -hmm. um, and then talking about having a plan, which I do talk about, um, yeah. but he went into so much detail and was so articulate the way he talked about having a plan prior to the, the actual incident and then mm. executing the plan in your head. So in the event that it does happen, you already have the plan. And I've heard it so many times, but mm -hmm. every every instructor teaches things differently and explains things differently. Um, and the way he explained it resonated a lot better. Uh, so that that was another thing that I took back. I think that light system that he has was developed by Dustin Solomon from okay. the Building Shooters book. I think that's the one he's using. Well, I emailed him. So when he gets to me, he's going to send me back <laughs> that information. <laughs> All right, Dakota, what did you learn? Yeah, I think the main takeaways that I had were more about running lines and teaching. I, with a girl and a gun and private classes, I'm teaching, you know, between five and 10 times a month. And I think some of the tiny little things I picked up, I was like, wow, that is going to make my life so much easier, or I'm going to feel like so much more in control of the line. And so just some little things that Gabe White was doing, um, something that Jeff Gonzalez said about trigger finger placement, I really got to see it impact people's targets in a way that I had never visually seen before. Um, and so definitely kind of taking that nugget. Um, and I think the the Craig Douglas uh, evolution, there's, there's a lot of takeaways there, but just learning more about, you know, the, the in-between um, of, you know, being somebody who carries a gun to drawing the gun, like so much happens in, in those moments. And I think a lot of our range training, you know, completely removes all of those variables and you're just, you know, on a line and you hear a beep and you draw your gun. Um, and so kind of taking in all that information and realizing that I want to do a lot more of that kind of stuff with the, with the girls that I'm training on a regular basis, I think um, it definitely for me, I felt like more changed the way that I'm going to be teaching moving forward. It's funny that you mentioned 
learning about running a lot is you know, the private sector instructor schools tend to focus on teaching an individual student. The right. law enforcement institutional side tend to focus on running a class full of students. And there's not a lot out there where you get the opportunity to mix and meld between those two. Uh, one class that I have not taken, but uh, someone who I trust very much, Karen Whitlock, took it and gave an excellent review of is uh, Mike Seeklander's instructor course. Now, Mike was very prevalent in Fletzi's program at one point in time. And so I, I'm thinking you'd probably get a, a private sector version of his Fletzi class uh, with that. Uh, I run, did a class one time last year called Instructor Camp. I don't have one scheduled this year where there's time where you spend actually running a line full of shooters. I don't know who else out there on the private sector side has something like that. I know the master instructor with range master, you actually start running lines of people. But uh, um, yeah. Akil and Tiffany's gateway instructor class, they touched on it pretty, mm -hmm. pretty good, too, as well. They talked about the setup, where to place certain students, left-handed, right-handed, ones that are nervous, ones who shot before. Mm -hmm. um, so they went into a little bit of detail in that one, too, as well. Yeah. Martin? Well, one thing I like to do, because... Uh, Going from venue to venue, I'm fascinated by watching people. And one thing I've been fascinated by for years, even in the airline and the simulator, is watching um, human performance under stress. And what I see a lot on the, the match and in some of the classes, uh, the same reaction that I saw in the simulator with professional pilots under stress. Uh, everybody reacts a little bit different. My approach in the simulator was, okay, you made a mistake. I don't care about the mistake. I want to know what you're going to do about it. Um, it's very, it's a quite a learning uh, experience. An uh, example about some of the classes you took. Um, probably as I get to learn my new job description and get a little bit better at it, I'll be taking some other classes. Most likely, I'll focus on the classes that teach me what I'm already doing to make sure I haven't fallen into the rabbit hole and I'm becoming that instructor that's a real pain in the ass. Um, I want to keep keep learning. And then probably the following year, I'll take classes that get me out of my own comfort level. Example, a friend of mine uh, years ago when Tom was teaching the shotgun class said, you need to get in Tom's shotgun class. He goes, why? It's a shotgun. You just point and shoot. I go, no, get in the class. He came out about four hours later, big wide-eyed. He goes, oh, my God, I didn't know anything about shotguns. So that's why I wanted you to take the class. Uh, you're out of your comfort level now. So uh, so those are the kind of classes I, I like to take. Uh, I, I don't – I'm studying under instructors that almost put you to sleep, and that's because they came very comfortable of what they're teaching, and they're not – they're not exciting the class. They put me to sleep. Tammy, what's your learning takeaway? Um, so I got a couple of really good ones. I think you had mentioned how you train new people where the first time you meet with them, it's all classroom and you don't take them out to the range at all. And I, that's not something that we did at, at the range I was working at. It was like a little quick 
this blurb in the classroom and then everyone wants to get to the range and it was like a light bulb I was like wow that's you know really super smart and that's how I'm gonna do it moving forward so that was a huge one um and then I got to I had some downtime between classes and got to kind of sit in and observe the beginning of Brian, one of Brian Eastridge's classes. And I loved the way he did the four firearm safety rules. I really think he just, um, you know, made it more real as opposed to just stuff we vomit out so that we can get on to the shooting part. So I really appreciated that and thought it was great. And then um, I learned that I'm carrying my pocket knife in the wrong pocket. And so that's, I'm trying to get in the habit. I, you know, I, put my pepper spray and then my flashlight and then my pocket knife all on my support side. And um, in that class, he's like, okay, take, you know, we were working with dummies, but you, it, it's backwards. I can't flip it open in my support side. If I try to flip it open, it flips into the palm of my hand, not out. So now I'm working on carrying it on strong side. Good. So little things like that. Matt? The biggest takeaway is that I, I want to do more range master stuff, the caliber of people, the caliber of instruction, the content. That was the big takeaway. There are a lot of tiny little takeaways that I have notes. I took notes on my phone. I was texting people constantly going, oh, this is the best. You, you, you got to go next year. Check this out. Um, but really the overall, the, the biggest thing is I need to go through the instructor programs here. Um, I think it will help me also on the professional side, professional law enforcement side. Um, I might not be doing uh, super basic firearms instruction on the law enforcement side. Then again, it's not a bad idea to have that in the back of my mind, how to approach things a different way, as opposed to just shout it out. This is what you're going to do. No, there are times where it's, it's, it's necessary to do a little bit more one-on-one. -on -one. And I enjoy doing that, yeah. but uh, yeah, overall, it was just a wonderful experience that I wish I participated in long ago. All right. When you go through the range master instructor classes, I have an important tip for you. Yes. the five when, day. Tom, when Tom says, come to the line with all your magazines loaded and at least 30 rounds in your pocket, he <laughs> means for you to come to the line with all your magazines loaded and at least 30 rounds in your pocket. Yes. <laughs> this is not an exaggeration. Yep. The most useful no. part of that mm -hmm. class for me was literally loading mags. Like I, someone would be shooting still, and I'd be like shoving rounds in my mags. It was so stressful. He's like screaming at you that you need more mags. I'm like I'm trying, I'm trying. So definitely have lots of mags. After his first, after I took his instructor development course, I went and bought 15 Glock mags. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I go to his class. That's just smart. Oh, absolutely. And, and have him have most of them preloaded. Every yeah. single yeah. one of them. I leave two empty because you know yep. he likes to do the malfunction. But yeah. I, I didn't play games after that because I was like, this is not even this is not even funny. Like yeah. <laughs> it is. It's super stressful the first time around. But once you know you're if you're not shooting, you stuff in mags, you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, save round if you don't mind. If I wanted to add one thing, sure, go ahead. Um, the one of the biggest takeaways, and I'll say from not last year, between last year and this year, I've taken a couple of Tom's classes and also a couple of Akil and Tiffany's, and running the line. And I wanted to talk about that just real quick. Mm -hmm. Being in the military, we're 
I'm used to, okay, Marines get online and it's like 50 Marines on the line <laughs> and you're like, okay, load your gun, ready. This is your yard line. This is how many you're shooting. You're doing a speed reload, ready, good to go, right? And then we just run the line. We're conditioned to already, you already know what you're doing, okay? We give you the basics, go over the safety rules. Here's your gun, here's your ammo, let's get to it. You can't do that with students. <laughs> right. Um, that was my biggest adjustment from running 50 to 100 Marines on the line to running just six people and having a heart attack <laughs> running six people. <laughs> it is just a big transition and it's super important for people in the military and people in law enforcement to understand the difference and the type of transition you have to make from mm -hmm. teaching people that are already conditioned to do what you say and fill in the blanks to mm -hmm. people that have no idea what you're talking about. And you have to be very specific about the instructions that you give them. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. Sure. Have y'all all seen that uh, Tom Hanks movie, A League of Their Own? Yes. You remember the scene where he's like, there's no crying in baseball? There's no crying in yeah. baseball, yeah. I, my very first open enrollment class with my company, I'm giving instructions and someone just decided they needed to go get something from like back under the covered area. And they just walked off the line. And like, in my mind, I'm Tom Hanks. There's no walking off the line in classes. It's just like you were just saying just then. <clears throat> what would happen to a Marine? What would happen to all of the Marines if one of the Marines walked off the line in the middle of a... Of a... Oh, they're getting cussed out let's say just just yeah. just say it's not going to be pretty especially if you're in boot camp now yeah. in the fleet where we're at you know regular yeah. marines are not going to do that right. they're just not because yeah. they've already they already know that's not a thing like yeah. you don't move off the line until you're told to move off yeah. the line <laughs> but yeah yeah everybody would get smoked and everything so, be blanket blanket parties later on for, for causing it to happen and absolutely else. Okay. and or recruits get closed line for trying to walk off the line without being <laughs> told to do so. Yeah, and you just don't get that in the, uh, you know, in the private sector world teaching classes. They're customers. They're they're right. not. They're under orders. They're they're right. they're there as a customer, and it's just it's a completely different world. Uh, anybody got any final closing thoughts? Because we're we've been going about an hour and a half. Yeah. Well, one thing I have all the guys working the match. Uh, really understand is that most of the new guys have only been in a bulletproof booth inside with a bench in front of them. Now I'm putting them on a line with nothing between them and the guy next to them. And it's a bit intimidating. So that's when we will have them watch, get them comfortable by watching first. Um, and this, this whole tech con, it's, it's kind of dynamic. I have the ability to make small changes as we go along, as we see it, but I can't change safety. I have the same safety rules for the trainers, for the staff, and for the attendees, and even Tom Givens. Uh, one level of safety. As some of you heard, I did DQ a trainer. Uh, his feelings were hurt. He was embarrassed. As he's walking away, he goes, yeah, I did it. Okay, so I appreciated him admitting it, but one level of safety, and it's not up for discussion. We just tap him on the shoulder, holster your gun, step off the line. And that's how I hope the other classes are run too. Mm -hmm. uh, the last thing I wanna mention is, uh, Matt brought this up also, uh, the friendship and camaraderie that I witnessed this year that we haven't really witnessed in the past. Um, 
I got to witness it firsthand. Uh, some of you uh, may have known I ended up in the emergency room Friday night. Well, that's because Monique threatened me. <laughs> Actually, I had a, I, I didn't even notice it. Somebody pointed it out to me. My elbow was about the size of a tennis ball, and it turned out to be bursitis. And uh, I had only known Monique for a couple of hours. And she looked at it and said, you're going to the emergency room. Well, as, you know, being a smart ass, I had to make a comment. And that's when she threatened me, said, you're going or I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> uh, as you're it turns going out, to the emergency room or you're going to need to go to the emergency room. <laughs> that's right. You're going to get there one way or another. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, the hospital is across the parking lot from the hotel. So it was convenient. Yeah. Um, while I was sitting in there, it's getting late at night, about midnight, and in walks Dr. Keith Harper. And I'm thinking, well, I wonder what happened to him. And he just sticks his head in the door and says, hey, Martin, how you doing? I heard you were over here. And I thought it was pretty amazing that a guy would give up his evening, uh, precious sleep, to just come over and talk to me. The good side is both of us sat in there and taught the emergency room doctor how to use pepper spray. So it was a uh, very successful evening, and I turned her on to Wayne Dobbs for private lessons. So it was a, it was a good night, Monique. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for going to the ER, as I suggested. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else with some? Go ahead, Matt. Um, this is really a unique opportunity to interact with those people that you may have watched on YouTube or listen to on podcasts mm -hmm. and you get to see them in their natural environment and you get to see them interact with people and you get to, you get to interact with them directly as well. And just the caliber of people involved is just awesome. It, it truly just wonderful, great people. And that's one of the things, again, having the same conversation with multiple people, having been to SHOT Show, having been to NRA, having to other conference type things, this, the, the feeling to it was different, much more pleasant, much more calm. And with, with a high caliber of people that I want to associate with. So that's it. I will come at you in just a second, Dakota. Speaking okay. of interacting with people on YouTube, you know, I think it was on one of your podcast episodes. I got on my rant about these homestead videos on YouTube. Yeah, I quit yeah. my corporate job to have a farm on one acre of property that I yeah. bought, whatever. And they do all this stuff and everything. Well, one of them popped up on, on my YouTube feed last night and I click on it. And these YouTubers have all been invited to a shooting long range shooting class. And then lo and behold, who appears on the screen? None other than Eric Lund is teaching the class they all got invited to. You know, Eric's one of my dearest friends. He's been on the show a bunch of times. He's on my Mount Rushmore, my personal training and everything. Like I got on the phone, you're on my YouTube with other people. What's what's going on here? And we had that had that chat. So it's just funny to see the worlds collide. Dakota? Yeah. I just to to follow up on what Matt was saying about the camaraderie, it was my first TACCON and you know I recognized some people and and had some familiar faces there. 
Um, I work with the folks over at Filster, so I, you know, I'm not going to take credit for this idea, but Sarah Hopman had a fantastic idea about a, a informal mentorship program for the people who are brand new to TACCON. And I wanted to mention it here because I think people who are going to go to TACCON next year will probably watch this episode. So um, just wanted to kind of throw that idea out there. Uh, the, the concept of it is that you would get a buddy a mentee that you could kind of show the ropes, save them a seat in a lecture if you guys are in the same class and just kind of make it a little bit more easy to meet people. I think from an outsider, everyone seems to know everybody. And so if you're not the type of person who's comfortable kind of inserting yourself in a conversation and, and meeting people that way, it can feel a little intimidating. Um, and so I think, you know, just think about it. If there's something on Facebook, if you look on the TACCON 23 uh, webpage, Sarah posted something with, with the idea in there. So just, you know, put that pin in your in your mind and, and think about it next year when TACCON's coming up again. And um, I think that would be a really fantastic way to kind of welcome people with open arms. Yeah, I agree. I, I had um actually rode back up to Kansas with someone different than I rode down with because they lived closer to me than the people I did ride with. And um, it, one of the things this person says, and I don't want to out anyone, but they said it was kind of like a, a, a retired old cop reunion. Um, but he was a, a first time attendee. And there is, there's a lot of camaraderie. I think um, what Chuck told me last year is, you know, you get to see your friends only so many times a year. And so there is a lot of that. I know I saw a lot of people um, at TACCON this year that I've become friends with over the years. And, and the same thing, you don't even have to be an instructor to do that. So I loved the idea of the mentorship and kind of bringing somebody in to to maybe help that transition because yeah everyone's not always outgoing or or really vivacious and willing to insert themselves into a conversation so that'll help people get more comfortable we want to grow our family mm -hmm. uh, the TACCON for 24 will be the first weekend in April of 24 the last weekend of March is which is when we usually have it is Easter so we're, so we're moving it back one week. Um, there will be some changes in the instructor lineup. I'm not going to reveal uh, who that is. Not necessarily all of it's finalized. But you know, each year Tom kind of shuffles a few few people around to get some some new faces in. Uh, so there will be some new presenters uh, in 24. Um, so yeah, look forward for that. It won't be like, well, I don't want to go back because that's all the same old people. Well, it will be a lot of the same old people, but there'll be some new ones too and everybody you know we try to get people to shuffle and and teach new material each year so you know each year's conference is kind of similar to previous years but it's also kind of different uh from previous years as well and it's just it's one of the fun things because there's 30 weekends a year that you can basically run open enrollment classes by the time you take out all the extreme weather weekends and and holidays and the like and it's this is the one time in the year all the traveling trainers kind of get to be together in the same spot and so that's always kind of special uh to participate in that then you get you, know, you get to see you know people that, that come every year or that you've met in a class three years ago or something like that um and so that's that's always fun uh, anyone have any kind of event or anything coming up they need to to mention nobody's got anything to sell come on 
All right. Now, if you come to come. Kansas, hit me up. I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> All right. um, Matt's podcast, primary, secondary. And there's, yeah, there's seven, that. And there's 74 primary, secondary YouTube groups. At and least. Count, and counting. At, at least 74. At least 74. Um, John Hearn, Eric Gelhaus, and I, the last weekend in April is uh, the Cognitive Conclave in Martin, Georgia. There are four slots remaining, just four. So go to my webpage, firstpersonsafety.com. You can go to the upcoming events link and go to my Eventbrite page and register for that. Uh, it's the same weekend as the, I think, the National Girl in the Gun Conference. We had to have something for other people to do. So <laughs> Actually, I didn't know it was that weekend when I scheduled it. But uh, that's coming. And so that's the one big thing to, to push. All right, folks, um, we know that your most important asset is your time. Thank you for choosing to spend it with us.